0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable, and I'm your host today, Dr. Laura Humphrey. With me is Dr. Luis Cozzolino. Dr. Cozzolino is professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and also holds advanced degrees in both philosophy and theology. Dr. Cozzolino is a national expert in the field of neurobiology and has published numerous books and articles on this topic. Welcome, Dr. Cozzolino. Thank you. Today we're discussing the aging brain. So how does the brain age?
1: To start off with, the dogma that I was educated with was that we kind of develop through childhood and adolescence and adulthood, and we reach a peak at about 25 and 30 or 30, and then we start petering out, and then there's this sort of long, slow decline into senility. So that was, that was the general dogma that, um, that I was fed in school.
0: That's and, not true, then.
1: Oh, it's not true, no. I mean, when <laughs> I, you know, I started looking more closely... Actually, I guess I, had, I was going into this with a lot of hope that that wasn't true because now that I'm 54, I would be well along the course of that long slide into senility. And especially those days where you walk into a room and you can't remember why you're there, um, you start wondering whether this is the beginning of the end for you. But, you know, when I looked at brain development, because people are starting to look in more depth at the aging brain, and now we're starting to get some new ideas about what might be happening during the aging process. So I think part of what fed that dogma was the fact that most work in gerontology was about Alzheimer's disease. And also you add to that the cultural denial of not wanting to think about aging and all of the emphasis on youth and beauty. And it was pretty much a, a black hole of knowledge into which everyone just projected their fears and nightmares.
0: Does the brain, in fact, change, though, as it ages in its cognitive functions and primary processes?
1: It seems to. It's, uh, again, this is uh, this work is all speculative at this point, but one of the things that seems to go down, there are these brain systems that are involved in new learning and memory and attention. The circuitry develops through childhood and adolescence and really doesn't mature until we're in our mid-20s or so. And these are systems that are connected to the hippocampus, part of the brain that's involved in new learning, and also the prefrontal cortex, the dorsal part on the top and then lateral lobes on the side. These circuits are probably the last to evolve in humans, and they're also the latest to develop during our lifespan. And it's these circuits that seem to develop most slowly and start declining most quickly. So I think that these are the circuits that we've looked at. They're also those that are usually involved first in Alzheimer's disease. So we see that these circuits are declining, and our memory starts getting worse. You have a hard time remembering what we had for lunch or where we parked our cars, those types of things. But that's what new learning is about. So it's those systems that seem to be representative of the typical process of aging that we all know and and are are afraid of. But on the other hand, you look at other regions of the brain, for example, the social brain systems related to attachment and bonding and emotional regulation, and those systems hold. They don't seem to deteriorate with time much at all, if at all. And um, actually, I believe that social attachment, and the emotional regulation specifically seems to increase with time. So even though we have a, we have a, a, a stereotype in our society of the grumpy old person, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at healthy elders that are 80, 90, 100 years old, there's hardly a grump in the group. Mm-hmm. Older people who have aged successfully who are healthy, who are not complaining about this thing hurting or that thing hurting, actually do quite well and are characterized by their sense of humor and their openness. And happiness. So, that's a good, a good, one good contrast between the decline of the ability to quickly learn new things, and on the other hand, the ability to connect and bond with others and to regulate emotions.
0: Do you believe, and is there research that shows whether or not living a life that is happy and fun-filled and um, closely connected to other people actually affects brain development and evolution?
1: There's plenty of research that I mean, there are countless studies that find positive correlations between social support, connectivity, happiness, pleasure, uh, positive religious beliefs, those sorts of things, with sustained health and good immunological functioning. So I think that correlation has been proven over and over again.
0: What sort of factors actually influence the brain's aging?
1: On the biological side, we know that there are things that accumulate over time, like free radicals that uh, break down the neural structure, There are the plaques and tangles that we find in Alzheimer's disease that probably exist in many people that even don't have the disease to some level. Um, Also, too, I think there's probably a slowing down of energy production in the body over time, and so the body has to make some choices as to where that energy is sent to. And the brain is a very uh, large consumer of energy. It's sort of like the United States vis-a-vis the world when you think about petroleum consumption. And so the brain still maintains a lot of of use of the the body's energy, but still most likely it has to do with less and less over time. So my suspicion is that the brain makes some choices about what functions hold and what functions are kind of let go of.
0: And if you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and we're speaking today with Dr. Luis Casolino. Dr. Casolino's is professor of psychology at Pepperdine University and holds advanced degrees also in both philosophy and theology. Dr. Casolino is a national expert in the field of neurobiology and has published numerous books and articles on this topic. And we're talking today about the aging brain. So how can we slow down the brain's aging processes?
1: Well, there's the million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. There are many avenues to study, and certainly there are, there are many people that are looking at um, pharmacological interventions for sustained brain health and the like. But I think from a psychological point of view, using what we've uh, seen so far in the research, is that one sure way to help the brain deal best with aging is to stay stimulated and active, stay physically active, and stay uh, cognitively active. In other words, be challenged. Don't assume that because you've reached a certain age, you don't have to think anymore, because thinking helps. And it is the brain isn't a muscle, but it is stimulated to grow from stimulation uh, or from any kind of environmental stimulation. And what that does is it builds more neurons and builds you know new brain. And so the more brain you have, the more brain you can stand to lose and still be able to process information well. There's this theory called cognitive reserve, which is that those people that have more stimulating jobs and have built more brain and studied more and been stimulated more have a much slower impact if they do have some kind of a dementing process later in life, that they're much slower to show the symptoms. And on autopsy, when you examine these brains, you find that the people that had more stimulating jobs and more stimulating lives actually had, they they might have more physical manifestations of the illness, of the dementing illness in their brain, but they showed less cognitive impairment while they were alive.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Could you give us a kind of prescription then for optimizing brain function as our brains age?
1: You know, I was just talking to friends of mine who who put deposits down recently on this retirement community that was connected with the university in Ohio. And It's just done so well. What they did was basically advertise to people, many of whom were were academics and professors and people that want to stay intellectually stimulated. These people are moving into the environment, and they're setting up um, lectures. In other words, the people that live there are going to take turns teaching the other people what they've learned throughout their lives and their areas of specialty. Also, they're all allowed, because they're members of this community, to take free extension courses at the university. And just as importantly, within this retirement community, they're establishing daycare for the employees of the people that work at the university. So the elders then are able to take care of children every day. So you've got these multiple impacts, both of intellectual stimulation and social stimulation, that will maximize the possibilities of using the social brain network as a way to stimulate uh, sustained, you know, brain growth and sustained health. So it's just brilliant. It's a wonderful idea.
0: really is. And how can our audience improve their patients' brain growth? You know, they're not necessarily going to have access to this community, but how can they do it in their everyday lives?
1: Well, I think just the principle of stimulation. There is a cottage industry now of books that tell you how to live forever and stimulate your brain and, you know, all of these sort of uh, bombastic promises. But if you look in these books, there are a lot of them are very good. One of the things I was reading the other day was, you know, don't take the same route home every day. Continue to challenge your brain to look around, to discover new things, to be stimulated, and to learn, learn new ways of being. Certainly, if you hear things from your patients like saying, I have all the friends I've ever, I ever need, or I've done everything I want to do, or that ship has sailed, um, just think of, of challenging in a, in a positive way, getting your clients outside of their comfort zone, and encouraging them to do things that they maybe wouldn't consider doing before or sort of hesitant to do. And there are certainly more and more, as the population ages, and as there's more and more money in catering to the aging population, there are increasing number of opportunities for travel, for education, for all sorts of group activities. And so I would just say stay alive and stay challenged. And... um, don't settle into watching daytime TV.
0: (laughs) And I understand that this is a special area of interest that you have. Can you tell us some about the book that you're working on?
1: Yeah, I'm working on a book called The Optimal Aging Brain, Sustained Attachment and Attaining Wisdom. And I think that I'm looking at, from an evolutionary perspective, of the role of elders in the community and thinking in terms of how their brains change over the course of their lives to create an increased opportunity for wisdom. Now of course with the change in society and technology and how quick everything is going this is really under question now because elders don't contain the uh, the wisdom anymore it's google now that has the information for the younger generation. And so things are shifting. But looking at the traditional role of elders we find that over the lifetime you know their affect regulation often gets better. They use have more bilateral use of their brains. We all do as we get older, and so there are a lot of ways in which I think an older brain is more shaped to storytelling, to including wisdom, to taking the listener into account, and nurturing through storytelling and transmission of wisdom. I think historically that's what we've been doing, and I think despite technology, children still need that, and older people still need to have value in the culture to keep them alive. They need to feel valued. And so we've got to work at this because we haven't, we're not doing a very good job um, right now. And people are becoming more and more isolated. And I think you're seeing a parallel when you look at old, older people in nursing homes sort of withering away. We're seeing a parallel to what we saw 60 or 70 years ago with infant death in orphanages and hospitals where infants were dying because of lack of stimulation. They had all of the everything. They had their food. They were, well, they were clean. They were well cared for. But no one touched them. And so I think we see that same thing with elders now. So it's sort of um, we have to have a revolution of understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to be older and what older people have still to contribute, despite Google. So it's, it's a policy of no geezer left behind.
0: <laughs> what can we do to our, um, in our nursing homes to provide a more optimal environment for these elders?
1: Certainly more stimulation, more multi generational involvement, and maybe even the whole idea of warehousing elderly people isolated from the rest of the community is a bad idea. We went through this with institutionalization of uh, psychiatric patients during the 60s and 70s. And perhaps we need more of a community-based model for the elderly as well.
0: And I want to thank Dr. Luis Casolino who's been our guest today. We've been discussing the aging brain. And I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.